It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hello, this is the Soul Anchor Podcast, and I am your host, Vidal Moreno. In the Soul Anchor Podcast, we seek to anchor our faith in the truths of the Bible while we sail across the sea seeking adventures where they can be found. Medieval Catholicism had been fraught with corruption at every level. Because of this, the drumbeat of discontent became so loud that it spawned the Protestant Reformation of the early part of the 16th century. The Catholic Church was reeling. As Protestantism spread like wildfire, many within and without the Church began to wonder if this was the end of the venerable Catholic Church. But then two sparks were lit, one by a Spanish soldier turned priest and one by a reformed-minded pope. In the mid-1500s, the Catholic Church underwent reformation of its own, changing the Church forever and reinvigorating it in preparation for the tumultuous centuries to come. On October 23, 1491, Ignatius Loyola was born to a noble Spanish family. As a soldier for Spain, Loyola fought in many battles. Finally, after the Battle of Pamplona, a battle between France and Spain, Loyola was severely wounded and had to endure a long convalescence. During this time, he was given Christian literature and turned his life over to Christ. After he was recovered, Ignatius gave up his career as a soldier and journeyed to the Holy Land to begin his study for the priesthood. At this time, he developed a course of discipleship he would later call the Spiritual Exercises. It was eventually published as a book, but it was originally designed as a way for a mature believer to personally take a younger believer through it. It asked for an intense period of meditation and prayer structured as week-long contemplations of first the sinfulness of the individual, second, the, th the lordship of Christ, third, the passion of Christ, and finally, the risen life of Christ. The modern Anglican evangelical J.I. Packer, who wrote the cherished book, Knowing God, writes that the exercises, quote, appeal to the will through understanding, imagination, and conscience, they remain a potent aid to self-knowledge and devotion to the Lord Jesus, even for those outside of Catholicism in which they are so strongly rooted. Unquote. Loyola's own use of exercises transformed him as thoroughly as Martin Luther's contemplation of justification by grace. Ignatius studied theology for 11 years in several universities, including the University of Paris. It is in Paris 
that his zeal so alarmed people that for a brief period he was investigated by an inquisitor as someone, quote, likely to disturb the peace and good order of the church, unquote. While some were alarmed by his deep commitment to Christ, others were attracted to it, and he soon gained a following. In 1534, Loyola, along with six other colleagues, including Francis Xavier, after swearing vows of poverty and chastity, pledged themselves to seek the conversion of the Turkish Muslims in and around Jerusalem. They also agreed that if their original goals could not be fulfilled, that they would place themselves at the disposal of the Pope for whatever service he would assign. Circumstances would come up that would not allow these young men to fulfill their vow. In 1539, Ignatius petitioned Pope Paul III to let him establish a new religious order. In 1540, Paul III would issue a bull that would establish the Society of Jesus, or the Jesuits. What was founded that day was what the modern historian John Olin would call, quote, the most powerful instrument of Catholic revival and resurgence in this era of religious crisis, unquote. Ignatius and his fellows realized that the church was in dire need of reformation. Their greatest struggles came in having to deal with the corruption, pride, and spiritual laziness they encountered everywhere. Loyola insisted on a high level of academic preparation for the clergy, in contrast to the relatively poor education of much of the clergy at this time. The early Jesuits believed that the reform of the church had to begin with the conversion of an individual's heart. Once they found a willing heart, they would sponsor them on a four-week retreat where the individual would be guided through Loyola's spiritual exercises. They would be given a spiritual mentor to help them on this journey. The exercises became both the basis for the training of Jesuits and one of the essential ministries of the order, giving the exercises to others in what became known as retreats. The Jesuits' contribution to the late Renaissance were significant in their roles, both as a missionary order and as the first religious order to operate colleges and universities as a principal and distinct ministry. By the time of Ignatius's death in 1556, the Jesuits were already operating a network of 74 colleges on three continents. A precursor to liberal education, the Jesuit plan of studies incorporated the classical teachings of Renaissance humanism into the scholastic structure of Catholic thought. In addition to the teachings of faith, the Jesuits would standardize the study of Latin, Greek, and classical literature, poetry, philosophy, as well as non-European languages, science, and the arts. Furthermore, Jesuit schools encouraged the study of literature and rhetoric, and thereby became important centers for the training of lawyers and public officials. The Jesuit schools played an important part in winning back to Catholicism a number of European countries, which had for a time been predominantly Protestant, notably Poland and Lithuania. Today, Jesuit colleges and universities are located in over 100 nations around the world. Under the notion that God can be encountered through created things, and especially art, 
they encourage the use of ceremony and decoration in Catholic ritual and devotion. Perhaps as a result of this appreciation for art, coupled with their spiritual practice of finding God in all things, many Jesuits distinguish themselves in the visual and performing arts as well as in music. The theater was a form of expression especially prominent in Jesuit schools. Jesuit priests often acted as confessors to kings during the early modern period. They were an important force in the Counter-Reformation and in the Catholic missions, in part because their relatively loose structure allowed them to be flexible and meet diverse needs arising at the time. Jesuit zeal in establishing Catholic doctrine and practice in the 16th century played a very large role in shaping Roman Catholicism for nearly half a millennium. The missionary fervor of the Jesuits made them a powerful force. Francis Xavier brought Christianity to India, Indonesia, Malaysia, and Japan. At his death in 1552, Xavier had arrived at the shores of China. This was done 150 years before anything could be found comparable among the Protestants, and 250 years before English-speaking Protestants. In Japan, the work of the Jesuits saw much fruit. By the time Xavier died in China, there were 700 Japanese converts. By the 1580s, there were over 150,000 converts. Unfortunately, the explosive growth of the church in Japan came to a halt in the 1620s when, an, when anti-Western rulers took over and initiated a wave of persecution, culminating in the near extinction of Christianity in Japan. In China, Jesuit missionaries used Confucianism to create a path to reach the people. They were realizing that genuine Christianity did not depend on the specifics of European culture. Their success led Rome to issue this decree to all Chinese missionaries. Quote, Do not try to persuade the Chinese to change their rights, their customs, their ways, as long as these are not openly opposed to religion and good morals. What would be sillier than to import France, Spain, Italy, or any other country of Europe into China? Don't import these. But the faith. The faith does not reject or crush the rights and customs of any race, as long as these are not evil. Rather, it wants to preserve them. Unquote. The Catholic response to the Protestant Reformation was the Council of Trent. This council profoundly changed the Catholic Church. Even into the 1530s, the papacy was still occupied by men who viewed their temporal power as more important than their spiritual responsibilities. That began to change with Pope Paul III in 1534. He gathered a select commission of reform-minded cardinals and asked them to prepare an assessment of the church and her needs. By 1537, the cardinals had produced the report. It criticized the papacy for its abuse of power in the church and society. It called for the papacy to concentrate on spiritual matters and let concerns for rule, wealth, and property fade into the background. The sale of church office and the lack of preparation of priests were also criticized. In 1541, 
an attempt to mend the breach between the church and the Protestants was held in Regensburg, Germany. Protestant leaders such as Martin Bucher and Philip Melanchthon were in attendance. The theologians were able to agree on two points. God is the sole source of salvation, and human good deeds are a necessary response to God's act of bringing salvation. As soon as the discussion moved past these two points, the talks became derailed. The two sides could not come to an agreement concerning transubstantiation and the authority of the Vatican to interpret Scripture. The dialogue would not be revived again until the 20th century. As a result, Pope Paul III ordered a church council to convene in Trent in Italy in December of 1545. Its goal was more toward reaffirming historic Catholic ways threatened by Protestantism than toward accommodations with them. The council met in three sessions from 45 to 47, 51 to 52, and 62 to 63. It provided a rebuttal to Protestantism, but also avoided the extremes of Catholic conservatism that led to the Protestant movement. No pope attended the councils, but its canons and decrees gave the pope more authority, albeit spiritual authority. Trent denied that a human was passive in the process of justification. It affirmed that scripture and church authorities worked parallel to each other. It mandated the seven sacraments as defined by Aquinas and defined them as necessary for salvation. It confirmed the Latin Vulgate as the official Bible and the Latin order of worship as superior to any local language or liturgies. The cup of the Eucharist was reserved for the priest alone. Bishops were to make sure that their priests were well-educated and teaching sound doctrine, and that each region should have its own seminary for the training of young men. The council reaffirmed indulgences, but also created stiff controls to prevent their abuses, which touched off the Reformation. Trent remained silent on the question of church-state relationships. It also reaffirmed traditional aspects of Catholic teaching, such as the veneration of the saints. One of the effects of the council was the creation of various smaller orders in order to bring reform to the church. The Theatines in Rome, the Capuchins in France, and the Discalced Carmelites in Spain all worked to stem the tide of Protestantism through education and a renewed zeal for meeting the needs of the poor. No Protestant missionary society would be as large as the Carmelites until the 20th century. The final emphasis of the last session of Trent was to stress the importance of the missionary mandate. This mandate would send missionaries not only to the Far East, but to the New World. By 1600, Augustinian missionaries had brought their version of the gospel to Mexico, Peru, Colombia, and Chile in Latin America, as well as parts of Africa. The Dominican Bartolomeo de las Casas formulated a strategy for evangelism among the Native Americans that combined fervor for the gospel and respect for the Indians as human beings. Thanks to the work of other Dominicans, 
Pope Paul III condemned the atrocities that Spanish conquistadores were per perpetrating in the West. In summary, the cooperation of zealous reformers such as the Jesuits and faithful Catholic monarchs proved an effective combination by the middle of the 16th century. It supported a massive renewal of Catholic energy, devotion, and temporal success. By 1600, almost all of Southern Europe was once again securely Catholic. France where strong pockets of Reformed Protestantism remained, had once again become largely Catholic. Other regions where Protestantism was once on the verge of triumph, Southern Germany, Southern Netherlands, Poland, Hungary, and Bohemia, were now reclaimed for Rome. Lutheranism was confined to Northern Germany, Scandinavia, and the Baltic. Reformed Protestantism was still on the march in Switzerland, Southern Germany, parts of Hungary, England, Scotland, and parts of France. But the threat of total dissolution of the Catholic Church had come and passed. The Catholics had successfully countered the Protestants by putting their own house in order. Rome had renewed its strength. If you are enjoying the Soul Anchor podcast and would like to automatically receive the podcast every time I upload an episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button. Soul Anchor Podcast is also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. The Soul Anchor Podcast Facebook page has the complete transcript of this episode. Like the page so that you can receive notification when I post information about these episodes. I invite all my listeners to message me on Facebook or email me at vidmore at yahoo.com. That's vidmore, V-I-D-M-O-R at yahoo.com. Getting back to the podcast, if you're enjoying the podcast, tell others about it and leave a five-star review because that will allow the podcast to get more recognition in the community. Till we meet again. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.